Turning to Revelation chapter 19, we're going to do a reading or two and then uh, we'll not be turning to any scriptures during the message. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19 and uh, we'll take you there and to other scriptures to make uh, the point of where we are coming from uh, tonight. Find your place and open your Bible there, please. In August 1977, I was part of a security team uh, at the new University of Ulster that welcomed the Queen, our Queen, on her Go Honours Jubilee uh, visit. 25 years uh, she came to Coleraine for that celebration. She was anchored off the Antrim coast in the Royal Yacht Britannia. Some of you will remember that situation. And then she flew into the new university and opened it in Coleraine. The security for her was massive. The night before and the days before and even that very day, there was shootings, there was rioting, there was bombings, there was killings. A massive security was swung into place. And I can't remember how many times uh, she made an attempt to fly in from the Antrim coast and it was stopped. Whatever information they had, they delayed it time and time again. But I do know from the archives of that visit that when she came back in from Coleraine, Prince Philip caught her by the hand and said, we're safe now if they don't sink the Britannia. It was an awesome time and she was a very bold woman to come. Eventually we saw the Red Wessex helicopter coming out over Port Rush. I was standing on an upstairs window looking down and the massive crowds and just as soon as that red helicopter came through the clouds, every eye turned towards the sky and you could hear the shouts, she's coming, she's coming and she did. And I often think of that scene. And I often think of what it will be like in the battle of Armageddon. When our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, bursts the clouds and comes again to set up his kingdom upon this earth. When he comes with all his saints, as we're going to see tonight, all his saints, 
will come with them to set up the thousand-year golden reign upon this earth. Now, last week, those of you who were here will remember that I preached on the rapture. The first part of Titus 2 and 14, looking for that blessed hope. And any moment now, my friend, Jesus Christ could burst the clouds and come to the air and lift his church out. That's a blessed hope in these days and the days that's going to follow. And so tonight I'm going to preach in the second part of that verse, looking for his blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That verse entitled Titus is separated by seven years from he comes to take us out and he appears back uh, as judge upon the earth. So I want to read some scriptures in relation to that in Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I want you to watch these scriptures very carefully and I want you to notice the words because it's the word of God that does the work. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, you need to notice that word behold. There's a word I slipped into our vocabulary here it often now when something spectacular happens, somebody will say, wow. Well, this is greater than any wow that you could make. When you get the word behold, is something really fascinating that's going to take your attention. And behold, a white horse and he that sat on it. All kings and conquerors of this day who won in battles rode a white horse and the soldiers riding behind them as they came into the towns and cities to claim their victory. So you see heaven open. That's a powerful statement. We're praying that it will open some of these days with a revival blessing because it seems to be shut up. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon it was called faithful and true and and in righteousness. That is faithful, truthful and righteous. And there's only one person can answer that description. He does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. You know, my friends, he has a name above all names that nobody knows, only himself. I would love to know what that name is. We have many titles and names of our Lord, but we don't know this one. It's only known to himself. Boy, if we could get a hold of that name... As much, I'm sure, we could preach upon it. Verse 13, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, speaking of Calvary. And his name is called the Word of God. Now, I want you to watch this very carefully. And the armies, and there's an S on the end of it, which were in heaven followed him. Now, it will not do for you to tell me that those were angels, or seraphims, or cherubims. You just watch that word. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, 
clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Cast your eyes to chapter 20 of Revelation and the first verse. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. There's four names for Satan, the Holy Ghost, but it's in one breath. And he bound him for a thousand years. Now you notice how many times a thousand years is mentioned here. A thousand years is a millennium. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little while. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and that which had not worshipped worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon the forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed and out of his prison, out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them together to battle, the number of them is as the sand of the sea. And they went up into the breadth of the earth and compassed the company of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone and the beast and the false prophet are, are all and shall be tormented day and night forever. Now turn back with me to Revelation chapter 1 please. Here we have another reading of the coming king. Just one verse. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. And he starts with the same word. Behold. Behold. He cometh with clouds. Now, clouds can mean in the scriptures people. Sometimes it does. It means people. Sometimes it just means uh, clouds themselves. And sometimes it means the pillar of cloud that sheltered the people of God as they went out of Egypt towards Israel. So there are clouds mentioned here, which I would like to say to you, there, there are clouds and people, clouds of people. And every eye shall see him. Now that's every eye shall see him. Do you know that these messages here are being listened to in India? And we were down in Fermanagh last night, Pat and I in our own hometown of Derragon, and we're t- I was talking to a farmer who lives in a fairly backward place, and he was telling me that he's listening to these. So don't, don't, don't marvel how that when Christ bursts, 
bursts in and comes down in the, to, the, to Jerusalem at the battle of Armageddon. This appearance we're talking about here, the revelation of Christ. Don't be surprised. This couldn't have happened, you know, many years, so many years back. That every eye shall see him. And you know this, my friend, they'll be all talking about it, you see. They'll all be talking about what the Antichrist is doing. The church will be gone. We'll be in the tribulation pit, and everybody will be talking. Every news bulletin, everything will be geared towards what the Antichrist is doing and, and the things that are happening in the world. Everything will be switched on towards that, just as you're switched on to Brexit at the minute. That's only Mickey Mouse compared to what it will be. And the Bible says here, the, 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 the Bible says, And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. My friend, listen, if the Jews ever knew there was a, that he was the Messiah, they'll know then, because they'll see the wounds in him. And they that pierced him. And those that spat on his face and those that boy that ran the sword up in when he was dead up into his heart and the blood and water came out on the cross. Every eye shall see him. And they that, pier- and they that pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And my friend, if you're in this meeting tonight and you're not saved, let me tell you, you'll wail. And you'll look, at, you'll, you'll look at this site wherever you'll be and you'll say, my goodness, look at what I missed. You pierced him. And every time you reject the Savior, you pierce him. Every time you say, I'll not have this man to rule over me. Every time you, re- you screw up that gospel tract and you say, I'm not coming to Christ, you're piercing him and you're wounding him. So don't do it. Stop it. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Shall wail because of him. Now turn back just maybe a page, and all you'll have to do to the wee epistle of Jude and verse 14. And here we have another behold, drawing our attention to the spectacular things that happen. Verse 14 of Jude. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam. Now this is the seventh man in from Adam. So you're going back some distance here. We're going to way back to Genesis, way back to the heir to the first man. And Enoch also the seventh of Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Watch this, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Where did that come from? Where did they come from? This was before he came the first time. Thousands of years before he came the first time. And here's this man, the seventh from Adam prophesied, The Lord cometh with ten thousands, and, uh, and they say there's, you could put S all, S's all day after that. Ten thousands of a saints. So let me say this just at this junction to meet him. If he comes, if the armies of heaven, if, if the saints of God, and we'll prove it beyond any doubt, not only from here but from the New Testament, if he comes with them, he has to come for them. 
I don't know sometimes what scriptures people read. And I've been preaching this for years and years. I've never had one man, one woman to challenge me and to show me that it's wrong. And I'm open to it. Don't be, don't be trying to spiritualize this at all. Just take it as the Word says. Enoch, the prophet, says he's coming with ten thousands of his saints. Turn over some pages to Colossians chapter 3. We're only one reading, after, one scripture after this. Colossians back over John, Peter, First and Second Timothy, take your time. Colossians chapter three. Not easy to find Colossians sometimes. It's after Philippians. After Thessalonians coming the other way. Colossians chapter three. Watch these verses now. And this will do us to make our case tonight from the scripture until we go to what we're preaching on in a minute. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the believers. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now watch this verse. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now underline those two words, with him. When he appears, we shall appear with him in glory. Now there's no mistaking of that. So you'll not be able to get out of this now tonight if you want to twist it about. You just have to take what the word says. Now turn right away back to a couple of books before the end of the Old Testament and to the book of Zechariah, and there we're going to park tonight. Back to Matthew, keep turning left, going back to Malachi, and then the one before that is Zechariah, chapter 14. And I'll just let you see this before we go expound these verses. It starts with behold. Right? And the behold holds on right down to verse 5. Look at verse 5. The end of it. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Hallelujah. There it is. So I hope I have established already tonight, my friend, that he's coming for his church to take us out in the rapture, the snatching away at any moment. And then he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords, and he's not coming to an old wooden cross to die. He's not coming to be spat on and mocked and crucified again. He's offered one sacrifice for sin. He's not coming as the lamb, but he's coming as the lion. He's coming to put things right. He's coming to settle the scores of the ages. 
He's coming to turn this old earth back into what it was in the days of, of, of Adam and Eve. When there was no sin, and there was no sorrow, and there was no sickness, and there was no death. He's coming to bind Satan, the false prophet, and, and the Antichrist, and cast them into the lake of fire. And he's going to reign and rule the way it should have been. And we're going to see that as we close tonight. This is the revelation of the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior who's coming to judge the world and coming to set up his kingdom. So you're open now at Zechariah chapter 14. Before I expound some of these verses, give me your attention. Did you ever consider why our Lord Jesus Christ used Noah's day and Lot's day to depict and to describe the year that the years that we're living in at the close of time? Do you ever think of that? Because that's what he said in Luke 21. He says, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Likewise, also in the days of Lot. Now, why did he choose two men? And why did he choose two families away back there? And I can hear some of you saying, and rightly you're saying, it's so true. He's comparing them because of the wickedness of the day. That's right. In Noah's day, it was a, a wicked day. The wickedness of man was great. The earth was corrupt and filled with violence, and man's thoughts were only evil continually. Demonic powers were let loose. Demonic forces of evil, of fallen angels, had committed sexual filthy sins with the daughters of the land. You read it, it is all there. And that was the days and the days which we're living in. Similar in the days of Lot, there was immorality, promiscuity, sodomites were ruling the land, men were raping men, and then I am certain, I am sure, no doubt, the Lord Jesus had that in his mind. He was talking about morality when he said that it'd be in the days, the last days of this dispensation. And the second reason we could give is this, he compared it to worldliness. Because he says that they eat, they drink, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. And there's nothing wrong with doing these things. It's part and parcel of life. But they had forgotten God. They, had, uh, they were consumed with the fullness of bread and materialistic things. Pleasure and idolatry and all the rest. And that, of course, would be right in these days in which we live. Worldliness. But there's a third and I believe that it's the foundation one. And whenever we're preaching like this, we always need to look for the principal application and interpretation of a passage. And I believe that the principal interpretation, and we can apply it in many ways as we like, but I believe that the, the principal interpretation and the principal application of this, this here is to do, it's to do with wrath. Is to do with the suddenness and the sureness of wrath. 
Yes, to remind them of the worldliness and to remind them of the wickedness was one thing, but to remind them of wrath was another. And we're living in a day when we don't like hearing preaching on wrath. We all, all we want the wee love message, the wee uh, nice messages that will thrill us and keep us. And that's a great problem in these last days, let me tell you, because the whole counsel of God is not being preached. There's an unbalanced gospel out there tonight in this dear land of ours. And a lot of it's all about the love of God. And I'm sick and tired of listening to this old cliche, what would Jesus do? Do you ever hear it? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus will do in this situation, for I will show you tonight. And I'll tell you what Jesus will do where men and women rise against him. There'll be judgment. And we can't have a lopsided gospel. We can't have a bird with one wing. She'll not fly right. We need the two wings. There's love. Of course there's love. But there's wrath. And what he is doing here, he's reminding the people of the suddenness of his wrath. And that's obvious. It's so obvious because that's what happened in these days, the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. Noah was cons- in Noah's day, the, the world was consumed with the flood, and in Lot's day, they were consumed with the fire. In Noah's day, there was a place of safety made, the ark, for them to get into and be safe before the wrath fell. And in Lot's day, it was the same. God said, go towards the mountain of Zor. Take your family with you. The sun's shining. There's a new day. The gates are open. Go right in there, and you'll be safe. And then when they got out, by the skin of their teeth and the smell of smoke on them, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So what he is doing there is he's just reminding them of wrath. And I'm reminding you tonight from the Word of God that there's a day of wrath coming. And if you're not saved tonight, my friend, you're going to have to face it. Because always remember this, that when Christ Jesus hung naked on that old cross of Calvary, and when you see a photograph of him in some house or some place with a garment wrapped round him as a lie, because part of the crucifixion was the shame And bearing shame and scoffing rude, as he hung there stripped naked, crowned with thorns, bludgeoned and battered, his back like a ploughed field, and the tongue claved to the roof of his mouth. Remember this. The wrath of God was upon him for our sins so that we could go free. And he bore my sins on his own body. He bore my sins on his own body upon that cruel tree, or else... I would have had to pay for the sins and I could never pay for my sins. And the judgment and the wrath of God is upon sinners tonight. And my friend, if we don't come to Calvary, if you don't come to the cross, and that's what these meetings are about night after night, and thank God people are getting saved. But oh, let me say to you, if you're not saved tonight, or you only think you're saved tonight, you need to make sure. Because some of these moments we could be snatched out and taken away. No doubt we will. And you'll have to take the 666 and the mark of the beast. And you'll have to go into this awful tribulation period. Doesn't bear thinking about. 
No, the greatest thing men and women will have is the memory that they've had of meetings like this, times that they heard the gospel, times their mothers, fathers told them, times the Sunday school teachers told them, and they rejected and rejected and rejected the love of God. Let work. And so, in these two men, he's making that point. And I believe that's the fundamental one. That there's a way, there's a place of escape from the wrath that's coming in these last days. And you better flee. The door's open at the moment, but I tell you, some of these days is going to be shut. And it'll be too late. Don't miss it. Get your eyes on Zechariah 14. Because what I'm saying is leading up into this. I want to say to you tonight, this is probably one of the greatest prophecies, really the second coming to the earth of our Lord in the Old Testament. And this was about 500 years before he came to the manger. Now look at verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord. And wherever you get the day of the Lord, it's always to do with the tribulation or the second coming to the earth. It's the day of Christ. When you read the day of Christ, you're reading about the day of coming up to the rapture. But this is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now watch this. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Let me stop there and let me give you a wee moment to think. You see, the first thing that you see here, and this is the same now that we have been speaking and reading about in the New Testament. This is the Lord returning to Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives. Remember he said, remember he said that? That was said to the, to the disciples and those at the, at the ascension. Remember the angels came, the men came, or the angel came and said, this same Jesus whom you see go. Forty days after the resurrection. This same Jesus whom you see go, and those feet lifted off from the Mount of Olives, and I'll show you here in this passage where this feet will rest again, and he's keeping his promise. This same Jesus whom you see go will come again in like manner. The same man to the same mountain. He's going to come again. And that's it here. You'll see it as we, go, as, as we go down. But we see here the greatness of the foe. Because it says in verse 2, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. Now this is Armageddon. And it's the Lord that's gathering them. And if you want to read further on that, you'll get Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, and the Lord himself in Matthew 24. This is speaking about the world's great military powers invading and surrounding Jerusalem at the Battle of Armageddon. And although the Battle of Armageddon, the plains of Megiddo where it'll be fought is 40 miles away, there's that many soldiers, there's that much might of the whole world's army that it comes right up into Jerusalem. And it all culminates with a combined assault upon Jerusalem 
They're going to come from the four winds of the earth, and the Lord's drawing them. They think that they're coming themselves. They think that they're going to invade Jerusalem for the final time, for they've been trying to do all down through the years, which men have been trying to do away from time immemorial, destroy the Jew, wipe them off, wipe them out, drive them into the sea. And so the whole nations of the world, and we'll show you who they are in a moment, they all culminate together, headed by the Antichrist at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and they're coming to wipe out Jerusalem, and they're coming for the goods and for the materialism and for the, for the oil that they have in Haifa that nobody knows anything about. And they're coming for the minerals that are in the Dead Sea. They're coming for the fruit that 90% of Europe uh, of their fruit goes to Europe. And we know, know nothing about the secrets and the things that Israel has, but some of them know, and the devil knows. And so they're coming, but the Lord's drawing them. Just the same as it happened at Calvary. You know, the Lord drew them into Calvary. The devil thought he was going to get rid of the Lord, he was going to crucify him, and that would be the end of him, but it was only the beginning. Hallelujah. See, with the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, Peter says. And then the devil thought this was it. He's going to finish up on the cross, and that's going to be the end of that. But we well know, and thank God we know tonight is not the end. And the Lord, sovereign, eternal God, put hooks, Ezekiel says, hooks in their jaws, and he'll draw them. And he's drawn them. And what's in their mind for what's in the land and what's in their mind of hatred to destroy and wipe out the Jew. It's all there. From the four winds of the earth, they'll come. And they'll do what men have been trying to do down through the centuries. Pharaoh, remember, tried to kill all the boys, all the male children, and wipe out the Jewish race. That's in the heart of the devil always has been and always will be until the Lord deals with him here. Haman, remember, set a plot to exterminate every one of them, wipe them out. And God moved in through Esther the queen for such a time as this. Nebuchadnezzar brought them into captivity to try to destroy them. Alexander the Great tried it. Haman tried it. As I said, Hitler tried it. Mussolini tried it. And she's surrounded with armies tonight. And the Bible says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded about with armies, lift up your head and look up, for your Redeemer draweth nigh. She's surrounded with hatred armies tonight. They'll come from the north. Now listen. This is your Bible. Read it in Ezekiel. Read it in Isaiah. They'll come from the north, Russia and all the socialist, atheistic, godless allies. Do you know they're very near at the minute? And I'll tell you why. Because Russia has established bases in Syria looking out over the Golan Heights. And Putin and Anboy Assad are combining together along with the Iranians and along with the Chinese because the Iranians and the Chinese and the Russians are doing counter-military together military schemes. And Russia's looking out over the Golden Heights, which is a base there. She hasn't far to come. I haven't time to tell you tonight what's going to happen to them on the hills of Israel. You'll have to read it for yourself. And then they'll come from the north and they'll come from the south. He's drawn them in from the south, the Islamic nations. 
the great Iranian uh, Muslim coalition. He'll draw them from the east, China and Japan, dry up the Euphrates River to bring them across, and from the west. And I call the west Macron's, Macron's military, led by the Antichrist, led by this man of sin, the little horn that's going to appear some of these days in amongst this crowd over at Brussels and settle things for a period. I call it Macron's military because you hardly hear that president of France on in anything in relation to Europe, but he's not talking about the army. If he's not the Antichrist himself, don't boy. Here's what I heard them saying there, heard them saying later, they've allocated 200 billion uh, men and women, men and women of the forces aside. And they're gathering together in their thousands and gathering together and planning to this final attack. And I said, whenever you hear of Mechon, he's the head man for the military. And last Wednesday, if you had listened to the news, you saw the head man for the financial end of things. The governor of the Bank of England. Jacob Rees-Mogg called, said that he was a reject from Canada, and I don't think he's far wrong. And last Wednesday, struck panic and fear into the people because of the economical market, if this thing doesn't work. He's a wee antichrist done by doing the devil's work. And then there's the Pope on the religious side. He's running like a scalded cat from one country to another. Trying to gather all the churches together. They're possessed, they're possessed, I tell you, by the devil for this new world order. And this new world order started away back with Nimrod, but he could never get off with it. Mussolini could never get off with it. Hitler could never get off with it. But God's time wasn't right. But devil always had his man. He always had a man down through the ages to move in for world supremacy. That was the devil's goal. So they're planning this attack and this new world order, which they seem to be obsessed with, talking all the time about it. We need a new man. We need a new world order. We need peace. We need this. We need that. We need the churches together. We need the banks together. We need the whole systems together. Well, there's going to be a new world order. But it'll not be them that'll rule it or reign it. So you see the greatness of the foe and you see the gathering of the foe. He says, I will gather I will gather them tonight. I will gather them. Do you know, my friend, that's a lovely wee phrase in the Word of God. God says, I will gather. And do you know at this moment of time, he's gathering men and women out of darkness into light. He's gathering men and women, my friend, everywhere tonight. Across the broad acres of the earth, people are getting saved. Muslims, 
They reckon that there's an average of 20,000 Muslims a year being saved in the United States alone. Not to talk about their own countries where they're seeing visions and God's moving, like the Damascus Road experience, and he's building his church. And he's good at drawing. And here and there, he's drawing sinners. And backslider, he wants to draw you back tonight. He gathers them back and he gathers them out. And he gathers us in and he gathers us round the table here on Sunday morning. What a glorious, blessed time it is. But one day he's going to gather us up. We're only gather-ups anyway, but he's going to gather us up. And we're going to be in to the presence of the Lord. I'm cutting out a bit here for I have to go on. We not only see the great foe, but we see the great fight. Or the great flight, rather, in verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. That was always the ploys of the enemy against Israel, rape their women, destroy them. Hitler tried it and done it. Gas, six million of them. And the old venom and the old devils behind it all. Verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. But it says at the end of verse 2, And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. There will always be a remnant. There's always a remnant. Thank God there's a remnant always to stand. Can I say to you that this couldn't have happened before 1948 because you're talking about Jerusalem, the capital city here. You're talking about the Jews being back in the land which didn't happen in 1948. You're talking about them being in control of Jerusalem because that's what it says. It didn't happen in 1967. And let me come closer than that and say this. I doubt if this could have happened before last year. Because it was last year that Trump declared Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And they're paying for it. So can't you see they're in the land, they have their city, they have their temple, because we know Jesus says that when he comes, the Antichrist will be in the temple. So the whole scene is set and everything's there. And don't be too hard on old Trump. Because he's good to Israel and because of that God's blessing. And pray, listen, pray for Netanyahu for these elections this week in Israel. Because there's a witch hunt on, a witch hunt against them. The wee antichrists are all working. So there's the great foe and there's the great flight. And there's the great fight. The Lord shall go forth. It says in verse 3, And the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations. And when he fought in the day of battle, and if you have a marginal reference, it will take you to Exodus chapter 15, when they were cornered at the Red Sea. Moses and the children of Israel, the sea was before them, the mountains were round them, they could hear the snorting of the horses of the devil's army, Pharaoh coming in behind them, and they were at Whitsand Corner. Are you there? I tell you, some of God's people get into Whitsand Corner very handy. 
And sometimes the Lord will draw us into wit's end corn and let us sit there till he teaches us a lesson or two. And we might cry and we might pray and we might say, Lord, do something. Something has to be done. And nothing happens. Just hold tight now. But he didn't come here to the last minute. They thought they had it all in the bag. And I can't go into any of this for our time's almost gone. But you know, there's sometimes the Lord holds back and there's sometimes he delays and he, he just lets the thing go on and on and on. That was the way. And if you have a reference, you'll get Exodus 15. And that's exactly what's happening here. They're cornered. Seems to be lost. It seems to be all over. It seems that there's no hope. Do you ever feel like that? And I'm sure I'm speaking to somewhere tonight, if not an Indian from Mana, somewhere tonight I'm speaking to someone and you just feel it's all over. Hold on now. There's nothing over until it's over. The Lord will not forsake you, sir. The Lord will not test you, dear, more than you're able to bear. He has a purpose and a reason. He might leave it to the last minute, but he'll come. Hold on. And he came, and Paul says, he'll destroy them with the brightness of his coming. Read it for yourself. So we have the great foe and the great flight and the great fight. But look at the great feet. Isn't this lovely? And his feet shall stand that day. Oh, the glorious feet of my glorious Savior. Oh, he's so faithful. The last thing they saw was the feet. This same Jesus whom you see go will come again in like manner. And his feet has touched the Mount of Olives. What's that verse as we come to close? And his feet, his feet, his feet, the feet of the unchangeable Savior that walked the roads of Palestine. His feet. See the promise? Shall stand in that day at the Mount of Olives. See the posture? Standing. See the period? That day. That day. Listen, friends. There's power in his feet. Because as soon as his feet touched the Mount of Olives, she had broken too. Do you read that? And Jerusalem became a port city for the, the water rolled in from the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea. There's power in his feet, let me tell you. There's power to split the mountains. There's power in his feet to still the storm. And as we were reading tonight, there's power in his feet to stamp Satan under his feet and cast him into hell. Great feet, mighty feet, glorious feet, beautiful feet of my Savior. But here we're closing now. Great foe, great flight, great feet. Ah, look at the end of verse 5. There's a great flock. 
and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. I'll be there. Glory to God, I will be there. I'm one of the saints of God, saved by grace. And I'll be glad to be with them on that day. And I will be glad to watch this from the air. Oh, what an awesome scene. Uh, China has 200 million soldiers on their own. Can you imagine the fury? You read it in Revelation, what's going to happen in this end times. It's going to be awful. It's going to be fierce. And all the wrath of the enemies of God are turned against them. And all the man, they're, they're fighting and they're going and they're doing this and they're pressing buttons and missiles and everything's flying. And suddenly, every eye shall see him. They'll turn from their tanks and they'll turn from their aircraft and they'll turn from their ships. And they'll look up, and it's all over. And he'll destroy them with the fierceness of his coming, and with his wrath, and we the saints shall be with him. I'll be glad that I'm there and not here. Look at verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet and their eyes shall consume away in their holes and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Barbecued, standing up. They have a new neutron bomb now that can pierce through steel of whatever thickness and walls of whatever thickness and inside where there's personnel it can barbecue them just as they stand. The flesh melt off them. They've used it. And you tell me how this man could write this 500 years before Christ come when they hadn't even a match. When they hadn't even a match. This is the prophetic word of God. This is the word of God that tells me tonight that he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives and his feet's going to touch it and the saints are going to come with him on white horses. And we're going to reign with him for a thousand years because lastly, I'm finished now, there's a great future. A glorious future. Wait till I tell you as, as I close what, what the good friend of the light boat, the late Dr. Theo Nansen Smith preached here one time in one of his books he says there'll be a zoological change and Isaiah and other scriptures tell us that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb the leopard with the kid goat will feed The calf will lie down with the lion. The cow and the bear will feed together and the child will put her hands into the asp or the wasp's nest but will not be stung. And a little child shall lead the lion and a little child shall lead the bear and the tiger and the wolf. 
So when you go to the zoo, you'll not need any cages. And then he said, horticulturally, instead of the thorn, they'll come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar, the myrtle tree. There'll be no thorns, there'll be no thistles, there'll be no briars, and there'll be no weeds, thank God. And everything to do with the curse, curse will be destroyed. And lastly, physically, there'll be no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no death, no funerals, no sickness. And for 1,000 years of the golden reign, we shall reign with our Lord Jesus in a world that knows nothing of sickness, sin, sorrow, or death. And everything of the devil will be destroyed, and everything of the devil will be cancelled. And there'll be the new world order. And Jesus shall reign where'er the Son does his successive journeys run. There's those in this gathering tonight and you've lost loved ones. And you know what it is to weep and you know what it is to be lonely and you know what it is the battle with family, with sickness, with so many different things. But listen, remember this. That there's a God on the throne tonight and the best is yet to be. I was called, I'll finish with this illustration. It's not good for a preacher to say he's finishing and he's finishing and he's finishing and he never finished. But I'm finished with it. I was, went to a house some years ago. Some of you know but who I'm talking about where three of the same family lost their lives within a half an hour of one another. And I remember going into that house till a grieving wife and a grieving mother, a disturbed, lamented, dear soul, and she was walking up and through the coffins. The coffins were open. She saw me coming. And she put her arms around me. She says, Bertie, have you any answers? I says, I have no answers. I have no answers. And I have no answers, and you have none either. Then she said this. She said, will it be long till the Lord comes back? I got a wee thought in my mind what she was at. I say, you know, according to the word of God, it'll not be very long. And then all things will be explained. I'm glad to be saved tonight. Thank you, you're so patient. You've listened to me.
so well tonight. Let's bow in a moment's prayer, please. Father, take what has been from thyself. Bless it. And what hasn't, cast it from our minds, our memories, and let that word of God dwell richly in our hearts. Bless this people and bless the food that's provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen.